Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield Reads. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, here with Sarah Masaryk, and today we have with us Tanya Arnold and Sherry Early. Friends, welcome back to another one of our monthly book clubs, one of our favorite things that we do. You know, Diane, I wonder if our listeners have noticed that we only do our favorite things to do now. (laughs) We've stopped doing so many things, and everything we do now is our favorite. Huh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? I think we've decided we know what we like. (laughs) (laughs) We're here today to talk about the final Gary D. Schmidt book that we're going to talk about for a while. Not to say we'll never come back. In fact, we hope we do come back to Gary D. Schmidt. We have lots more to say on that topic. But for the purposes of our book club, this is the last book in what we consider to be sort of an arc inside of Gary D. Schmidt's world. So today, friends, we're here to discuss just like that. And We've talked in previous episodes that some people consider the three 1960s books to sit together. So Wednesday Wars, okay for now, just like that. We think it's really important to consider Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy inside of that because some of the characters in Lizzie Bright appear in this month's book, just like that. And so... Tanya, you had no knowledge of any of this. You just kind of, you're coming along on the journey just like our listeners are. Did you, do you agree with that decision now that you're on the other side of it and have read it? Right. Absolutely. So I read in the order I was instructed to read (laughs) by the Plumfield Moms based on a recording (laughs) schedule. (laughs) So we read Wednesday Wars Mm -hmm. first. Then okay for mm-hmm. now, then Lizzie Bright, mm-hmm. then just like that. And I agree. I think it should go in that order based on what you learn by reading those books in, in that, that order way. and the mm-hmm. way it and the way it comes together for you in your mind. I think it's brilliant. And by the time I was reading just like that, was I three to six chapters in and I was messaging you guys, giving you my theory. <laughs> Here's my theory on who I think <laughs> is who and how this is all playing out. And I was doing the math, like if Lizzie Bright occurred in 1910 to 1912, mm-hmm. and this book occurs in 1969, and this character was this age in this book, then in this age, this math all could work out. And I was I was laying out the whole thing, and you and you both just said, well, let's just <laughs> our, our first question, our question was, well, have you finished yet? Well, no, I'm on like chapter six. Okay. <laughs> right. No, I'm just barely <laughs> starting my theory. Have fun with that theory. We'll talk about it on the other side. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that it it just makes it really enjoyable for the reader. Mm -hmm. I think if you read them close together and in that order to have all the connections come together like that. I think you need to add Hercules Beale to that reading plan. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. At the end. (laughs) Um, You know, it, it, they, they are not, they are standalone novels. So people need to know that. Right. You can read any one of them and you will get you know, you'll get the whole plot, you'll get the whole characters, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there is something about reading them and and making those connections, however you do it. Right. Yes. Diane and I are working on a very special project for some of these Gary D. Schmidt books. And today I was copying one of the quotes that Diane found from Gary D. Schmidt 
about the fact that we live in a broken world. So his characters reflect the brokenness of the real world. The challenge then is how will we live in that broken world? And so the hard themes that we encounter, and there are some very hard themes in this book, the hard themes, they're very real. They happen to a lot of people. The heroism, the courage, the virtue of our characters is how they respond to those hard circumstances. And then again, that's the fun part when we see in the labors of Hercules Beale that Danny Huffer's okay. My tea is okay. Their stories have played out really well. And you won't know that for 20 or 30 years, but you get a little glimpse of that in the stories of other young characters in which these adults then feature. So it's kind of cool. So Sherry, you had read Wednesday Wars and Okay for Now before, and so reread them with us. And you had read Lizzie Bright before. Yeah, at some point. So, but this one you had never read before. Uh-uh. Well, why didn't you read this one? Um, well, it just, it didn't come out that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, that's true. 2021. So, yeah. Anyway, I just hadn't gotten around to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> See, I willfully ignored it because, uh, you know, I knew what was going to happen, at least in the beginning, and I didn't want to be hurt like that. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's one spoiler that we can we can do because almost everybody that goes into reading this book knows. So then let's get that out of the way right now. Let's make sure that our listeners know if you want absolutely zero spoilers for this book, this is it because we're about to say it. But as Sherry says, this is on the second page. And as Tanya has said in other podcasts, it is in the audible sample. So it is the thing you hear. <laughs> so, mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. So my sister Kathy has been, she hasn't kept up, but she's catching up with the three books. And she mm. just started this book um, yesterday or the day before, I think. And the today she just, well, it must've been today. She just texted me and, and then all it said was, hauling! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I learned about these books from my sweet friend Magdalena Mortensen. And if you listen to our Wednesday, our very first Gary D. Schmidt book club, it was Wednesday Wars with Magdalena and her sister Marietta. And so that's how I discovered Gary D. Schmidt was through Mags. And I remember Mags telling me, don't read just like that. She said, I'm mad. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, gosh. (laughs) And so I said, well, why are you mad? Like, what could he possibly have done to make you mad? And she said, he had no cause to kill off Holling in the first page. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, friends, this is obviously, this the cat is out of the bag on this one. The, the whole premise of this story is that things can happen just like that. One day, things are one way, and the next day, they are something else entirely. And in this case, we are getting the story told from the point of view of Marilee. And Marilee is in total grief because Holling has died in a car accident. And, you know, he, he's young. They're, they're young. They're eighth graders. So this is very traumatic and very shocking. So that's, that's how things start. Holling is dead. Marilee is grieving. 
And the story is now going to pivot to Marilee. And we're going to change geography again because Marilee's parents have decided that Marilee is not in good shape to stay home. She needs to have a fresh start. There are other reasons for that as well. And so they find a nice boarding school for her to attend. In Maine. In Maine. So friends, with that, we don't really feel like there's a lot of chit-chat for this. We feel like we got to get right into the heart of things. And uh, you need to know that in this book, there is, like okay for now, there is some pretty serious violence against children. And um, it's got an Oliver Twist type feel to it and or a David Copperfield type feel to it. And we just want you to be warned that this podcast might not be appropriate for little ears. So if you would like to just pause this, save this, come back to it, um, that would be probably a good thing to do. And that would be the moment to grab your device and pause it and rejoin us when you're ready. And so friends, you can, as Sherry said, listen to these books, read these books in any order you choose. We tend to think that knowing the characters um, ahead of time from these other stories will help to give you a level of, or will give the story a level of richness that it might not otherwise have and give you a level of insight. It is particularly interesting to watch uh, one of these characters who we know from Lizzie Bright and to see him as an older man and knowing what he was, see what he's become, and it's it is sort of a, a fun, fun way to see how people grow and change. That's part of what the book is about, too. Um, Marilee goes to this new school, mm-hmm. and of course she meets people, and she has a certain impression of, of each one of them. Uh, and then as the story progresses, that's not all there is to them. No, not they, at all. They, mm-hmm. the, 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 girl, the girls that she meets uh, and the teachers, mm-hmm. um, you find out more about them. You find they grow, but also mm-hmm. you find out that there's more to them than, than meets the eye than on the surface. Right, right. So, yeah. You also have the school with the teacher and the headmistress and everyone involved in teaching the kids constantly talking about accomplishments and meeting challenges. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, a, it's kind of like, that's um, an obvious theme, but not so obvious because Marilee can't figure out if she's becoming accomplished at anything. Well, she can't really figure out how to define the word accomplished. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously the Webster's Dictionary meaning, but what is it? what does it mean? Mm-hmm. What, what does that actually mean to a person? What is the standard for that? What is one striving for? What good does it do them to become accomplished? Mm-hmm. And at what cost? Well, and she's in a school that's for elite. Yes. It's for families who can afford to send their children to a boarding school. It's very much upper class. And in, and a lot of the ideology that she's perceiving is tied to a sense of accomplishment that has to do with having tea time and talking about appropriate topics and how you hold yourself and which side you're served on and how you which silverware and which spoons. Mm-hmm. And so she's seeing a lot of that, which is new to her. and And even as a reader... Uh, that's very foreign to most Americans. Yes, it is. 
you're middle class Americans, that's very foreign. And so you're trying to think about what does it mean to be accomplished? And I think all of us can think back to Jane Austen <laughs> yeah. and think, what did it mean to be accomplished yes. then? If, if, um, like in Pride and Prejudice, you know, could she play the piano? Mm-hmm. Was she accomplished? Right. 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 And what does that mean? So I feel like there's a lot of ideas. Like, how do you define uh, accomplishment? Well, or to be an accomplished young lady. Yeah. It also has to do with having a talent, having a having an, a, an ability where you shine. And I know that some of my girls, when they were teenagers, went through the whole thing of they read about characters in some books who were um, accomplished dancers or artists or, and they, they were like, whoa. What am I good at? You know, what am I really? Okay, yeah. I'm an okay artist, but I'm not, you know, I'm not Michelangelo. I'm not, <laughs> you know. And so they they really were searching for that thing that they were would shine at. And that was part of what Marilee is, is looking at too, because one of the girls was, had a, one of the girls at the school had a, um, art exhibit or something and another one I don't know did something else but I don't remember what and so yeah she was trying to find her talent right and it's a very to me it was a very interesting scenario because he takes these older ideas like I love that Tanya brings up Jane Austen or maybe we would think of like in Little Women with Amy March becoming accomplished Um, To me, the book really had the vibe. It it felt like the Anne of Green Gables, but Anne of Avonlea miniseries, so not the Green Gables miniseries, but the second miniseries where Anne is teaching at Kingsport Ladies College. To me, this felt like Kingsport Ladies College. And yet it is in the 1960s. That's the setting. And those things are becoming kind of passe. And the women's lib movement is it's here. And it's confusing, but it's written now with some of our modern prejudices. And he's a father to daughters. Presumably, he wanted his daughters to to find out who they are and what their value is. And they may have struggled the same way your daughters did, Sherry, or I did as as a young lady. How do women define their value? It's different than the boy stories. The boys go out and they're man versus the world in a lot of times. Man versus the world or man versus man. The conflict for women tends to be woman versus herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of love that too because I think for girls and for women, this is a challenge. And, and how many times have you guys been presented where you were in a situation where there was a talent Yes. Show? Yes. And County <laughs> Fair. Yes. Sing. County Fair pageant. Oh, I didn't goodness. have a talent. <laughs> Right. So unless you had something to display. I do not. Yes. Or you had something that you could perform, like unless it was a performing art, it's hard to display a talent or an accomplishment. So Sherry was kind of getting into this. So for women, it's hard to find that or identify that. And sometimes it doesn't feel as satisfying or as important to say, well, you're a kind heart. (laughs) No, you're service oriented, you know, whatever that might be. And yet this story lays out the power of something that can't be touched or seen. 
but can right. be felt. And it's seasoned yeah. with grief. So everything for Marilee is is in stereo. Every everything is amplified. Her feelings, she either feels nothing or feels everything. In Marilee's world, hauling was a constant. They were best friends since the beginning. And then they were best friends turned romantic. I mean, as romantic as a seventh and eighth grader can be. But in, in their minds, this was the person who knew them best. Marilee's parents' marriage is falling apart. Her hauling, her world with hauling has fallen apart. She literally does not know where she fits in this world. She feels so completely lost and alone and confused about who she is and what she is. And then she's thrust into a preparatory school, which is so focused on checking all the boxes and having all the little things, all your P's and Q's in order. It's really a lot for her to, to bear up under. It is this kind of an odd choice that her parents said, you need a new beginning. Let's throw you into something totally foreign while you're dealing with your grief because starting in a new school is hard enough without Mm -hmm. all the other things that are involved in a boarding school. You have to live Mm -hmm. with someone. She's not in the class of any of the other girls as far as wealth and, and training. She doesn't know which spoon to use. (laughs) She is wealthy though. Right. But her dad has new money and these girls all come from old money. Something I was reading about this book said that if you Google, and I didn't, that the three most traumatic experiences that an adolescent can have are the loss of a someone close to them, the death of someone close to them, um, the, a parent's divorce, and moving to a new school. I thought, well, <laughs> she... There you go. She checked all those boxes and mm-hmm. survived. <laughs> she did. She's surrounded by adults who care about her accomplishment in whatever way you want to say that. There are, of course, she has the hard times, people mm-hmm. who don't understand her. Um, but there are several of the people in her lives, the adults, the the headmistress and some of her teachers who are right there by her trying to help her through this, just like in all of other Schmidt's books where there's, they're not out there hanging out by themselves trying to figure out as a 14 year old, who am I? What should I be? I think I'll just make it up. You know, I actually prefer his modern, I prefer the adults in his newer books to the older ones. I mean, we all love Mrs. Baker, but one of the things we talked about in the Wednesday Wars is that, you know, Mrs. Baker, she's kind of a suspicious hero in places. There, there, There's things about her that are probably fairly problematic. Um, she's still wonderful. She's still a hero. We love her. We're loyal to her. But I feel like he got better as he went on in drawing realistic but strong adults that they're still, they still have their foibles. They still have their idiosyncrasies and their imperfections. But I think Mrs. Monocator is, I think she's all aces. <laughs> and for, for those who haven't read it yet, um, she's, d- am I the only one who thinks that she's patterned off of um, McGonagall from Harry Potter? McGonagall from Harry Potter? Like, fierce little Scottish woman who loves the outcast hero fiercely. <laughs> <laughs> The female characters in his other books are not the main character. 
Right. That some of them are, are strong supporting characters like Lizzie Bright, but they're not the protagonists. But Marilee is in this book, even though Matt is a strong supporting character. Yeah. And he was able to write a 13-year-old girl very well, I thought. Yeah. I thought so, too. Maybe because he has daughters that he has had to raise by himself because his wife died about 10 years ago. Yes, I completely agree, Sherry. I think he has taken, we don't know his personal situation. We've never met him. But he is an author. The way in which he writes, I'd like to think that we know a part of him. I'd like to think we know a part of his heart. I think he's trustworthy. And I think that he's somebody I would very much like to meet. And I don't say that very often. I normally don't care about meeting famous people or anything like that. I don't want to meet a famous person. I want to meet the man who gave me so many stories that I cherish. I want to I want to know and thank this man because his stories have meant so much to me. And I, I just would like to know him better because of that. And I think he lets us see that a little bit more of himself in this. And um, the combination of grief and parenting comes through strongly in this book. Right. And I'm not trying to psychoanalyze the author or anything like that. But no, of course. it's mm-hmm. obvious, too, from reading his life story a little bit and from reading the book, that he's this person who has experienced grief and who has seen his daughter's experience grief and how they reacted. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, Watching, witnessing his daughters process their grief. That's, mm-hmm. yes. I think the point we're making here is that this is not an author who sat down and thought, I'm going to throw this twist at my characters. I'm just going to throw them in a blender and see what happens. These stories feel like they come from a deep well of lived experience, and he has just flesh them out in story form in a way that's a gift to us like it's excellent writing he didn't just like journal his grief here yeah and and you know what I think we need to say too that because we've talked about some uh, some hard things this isn't a this isn't a a depressing book no it's not at all it's 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 got really hard things in it and at mm-hmm. the same time, it's funny and cute. And yeah, the, and the things that happen are the things that happen, not just the grief, but the other things that happen to adolescents in right? school and stuff. Like <laughs> we were talking the other day about dissections, you know, and um, <laughs> dissecting. Uh, what does she have to dissect? A, a worm, worm and a frog, worm. I think. And then they get to the fetal pig. Oh, yeah. dear. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do any. No. Anyway, and then the, the whole thing of athletics and, yeah, I you know. Yes. All of us have gone through that. Either we were good at it or we weren't. <laughs> no, right. I wasn't. <laughs> I was worse than Marilee, probably. Me too. Me too. <laughs> she managed to kind of get good at uh, field hockey, but... Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that I was thinking about, and I've been trying to figure out how to articulate it exactly, because this book, it does have a layer of realism, 
that we did not see in books in the 1930s to 60s. Mm-hmm. And that's a trend that's new in the last 40 years. And it's not necessarily a good trend right. mm-hmm. towards realism because many of the books move towards realism and they remove hope, hope mm-hmm. or they remove God, Amen. honestly, from the mm-hmm. equation. And I don't want to go into this book very much, but I just want to kind of do a compare and contrast. Together, the four of us have been working on a Caldecott project. Mm -hmm. And there was a Caldecott book that I reviewed that was a 2011 winner graphic novel. It was an honor winner. And it was a graphic novel. And it had a certain level of realism in it. And it was crude. And it, but it was real. I'm I'm sure there are children that are living these experiences with the adults in their world. And hearing these kinds of things and having these kinds of conversations that I would not want introduced to my child. I felt like it was a very inappropriate book. And it didn't leave me feeling hopeful. It didn't leave me feeling like these characters were going to move towards something that would help them move towards their best selves or towards something just higher level than just base humanness. Mm. And I was sharing with um, Sarah and Diane that if I was going to compare and contrast, Gary D. Schmidt is the opposite of what many other authors, especially in YA, are currently doing. So he is offering realism. So it's that sense of we live in this broken world and there are experiences that our children are either having or they're seeing their friends Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. or at some level. So either a child has had loss or they know a friend who's had loss. Either a child is experiencing a divorce where they have a friend who's experiencing divorce. Either they've gone to a new school or they have a friend that's gone to a new yeah. school, right? Like they're not as sheltered maybe as we were or as previous generations mm-hmm. were in, in, in the world. And so I think in this book, he, what he does is he offers that realism. And whether you are a 13-year-old that has lost someone close to you or not, He lets you step into empathy, Mm -hmm. either as a way to, this is how you can help carry, like what he calls it when Marilee feels that pain, she calls it the blank. Mm -hmm. And I so resonated with that, like when all of a sudden the blank was there or it was looming Mm -hmm. or when it wasn't there. And she could feel that. As she was moving on. And then wonder if she should be grasping for it or letting it go. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's that point where she's starting to connect with Matt and she says in her mind, I'm so sorry, Holly, forgive me. Yes. Right. That's a real struggle. Right. Right. right? But it's also okay. And I just think whether you were a child who had loss or you had a friend who had loss, it's going to show you what that looks like, but also show you what it looks like in a way that's meaningful and helps you see that you, you have to go on, you know, in Korean dramas, (laughs) I'm going to bring up (laughs) Korean dramas, you guys. Yeah. So in a lot of the K dramas, and I love this, this must be a cultural (laughs) thing. When someone's going to die or maybe someone has died and their ghost is coming back or whatever, <laughs> and Sherry, confirm if I'm wrong here, on their deathbed, they'll say, I want you to live a joyful life as a way to honor yeah. me. Don't mourn me. Don't live in depression. Yeah. Like, go forward now and live your best life. Yeah. And I think as Americans, we don't look mm-hmm. to that. We don't look to the best thing I could do now is to go find right. joy. And to live in joy. And I think Gary D. Schmidt is showing like you can feel that pain and it's still okay mm-hmm. to have joy. It's still okay to move on. It's still okay to create new friendships. And I just thought that was really, really powerful without being dark. So I just feel like he is the 
he's offering what these other authors are offering, but in a way that is actually meaningful and purposeful and can help youth grow into the adults that they're meant Mm -hmm. to be that can end up being great mothers, great fathers, great spouses, great contributors to society. And I just don't see that in these other books. The book I read, I thought, where do these children go from here after having read this Mm -hmm. book? What is the outcome of a child having read this? Where do they grow from this? Because they don't. There's no growth coming from that. Great, actually. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I do have a question for you guys, because I I do like this Mm -hmm. book. I do think it was well done. I do think it presents the hardships that many humans will face Mm -hmm. in a way that can help you learn to navigate them or understand what someone else might be going through. I I always felt a little jolted between the stories. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that too. So in my mind, the stories he's done extremely well have been boy stories. And now he's mm-hmm. writing a girl story. Because to me, it felt like there were moments where it's all about Matt and like about Matt for chapter after chapter after chapter. You forget that Marilee's even in the story. And then it would shift back. And I understand that that's because we knew nothing about Matt and we have Marilee's backstory. But to me, the pacing was off in that regard until about three quarters of the way through the book when it's like their worlds collide. Really, I thought it was very appropriate so, because they are jarring that here she mm. is in this girl prep school where everybody's trying to make everything look perfect. And then here's Matt, who doesn't even know how to read. And he's never had right. a family. I think it's jarring on purpose and that it was oh. really well done. And I also thought Matt was way more interesting than Mary Lee. Oh, interesting. Interesting. What about you, Sherry? I just thought. I, I, it didn't occur to me. I just thought, okay, so we're going through a year of the lives of these two children, and now something interesting is happening to Marilee. She's having a protest outside or whatever it is. And now, okay, now that's over, and now something interesting is happening to Matt. Oh, they're they're coming after him. Um, you know. So it it just seemed to switch, like, with the time, uh, chronologically, I don't know. And you also see it building toward where those will come together, that they're both going to be involved in his danger. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I assumed as such, because that's just good storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I didn't didn't feel it building that way. But that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I would like to go back and reread it now and think of it through that filter. Well, I listened to mm-hmm. it. I didn't read it. And I think if I had read it, it might not have felt as jolting to me. But what happened is that I thought Matt's story was as compelling. So I didn't think this was a girl mm-hmm. book. I thought this was a dual, a parallel, yeah. a dual storyline. And Matt's character was as strong. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was doing both well. It's just I would be so caught up in Matt's story and we were going back in time in Matt's story. And then jolt right back out of it. And then I'd be like, okay, wait, where are we going? Okay, we're going over here. And then I'm getting tied into Marilee's story. And then jolt, we're back out of that into this other story. And it felt as I was listening to it, like I was kind of being jerked between these two worlds. And I I was like, why? I almost would have just appreciated. I couldn't figure out what I didn't like about that because I have read parallel storylines with two, three, four right. characters before. Lines of courage. And not felt jolted Lines. like that. Lines of courage. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, lines of courage. I didn't feel jolted, but it just felt like I was being jolted. Or maybe he, he gave a lot more to Marilee and then it would be shorter to Matt and then Marilee's was longer and then shorter to Matt. Maybe they needed equal weight. And again, it was just my personal feeling of I was about halfway through. I was getting frustrated. I was like, okay. Well, I found myself frustrated because I wanted more of Matt's story. And I felt like Marilee was that getting in the way of Matt's story. Mm -hmm. But I really <laughs> love Marilee. And because Marilee's yeah. story to me felt so much like Montgomery, I felt like I, I wanted to be at Kingsport Ladies College. I wanted to know what the antics were going to be. I knew who the characters were already because I love that part of Anne of, um, I just love Anna Green Gables that much. And, and then, but it's Anna Green Gables for Mary Lee and it's Dickens for Matt. And I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, exactly. which one am I reading? And I understand that they aren't like vastly different in terms of periods in literature, but it felt really to me jarring. I would have wanted Matt's own story first and then his and Marilee's story together because we already have a story for Marilee. I would have liked Matt to have been a character somewhere, even if we didn't have his whole story. But for Matt to come out of nowhere. And also I read Matt's story right. I read this story like right after reading Trouble. And that is that's two characters. It's three characters, really. And this that one's more balanced and this one to me feels you know like i was saying skewed i guess i thought it was appropriate because what we're getting from Marilee is that here we need to know this is her situation now she's working through the present and how you handle that and matt is always trying to be in the present but his past but gets in, in the, the way and so i think yeah. that that made it appropriate for the way the story was told and that that jarring feeling, he's getting that all the time. He starts yeah, to kind true. of get settled somewhere and then bam, bam. he's out of there yeah. and something bad he's happens. Again. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I just thought that it was really well done to make us feel what the characters were feeling. I, I could agree with that. I mean, thinking of it that way, I can, I mm -hmm. can see that. I just wanted more of Matt's story. I just didn't feel like there was enough. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's the problem. I think there wasn't enough mm -hmm. of Matt. I think his story is massively compelling yes. and it, it needed, it is a Dickens story and it needed more depth. Like where, what did happen with his parents? And even if that doesn't resolve it, there wasn't, there was, there could have been more storytelling right. for me around. At the same Matt. time though, I think this because is the, the biggest time... book in this group, the the longest. Mm, oh, but it's because right. it's doing two right. characters at the but same I'm, time. I'm going to tell you something earth shattering. We get oh, to no. the end, and okay. I'm thinking, sequel, please. Ah! <laughs> I want to know what happens to these four people, because I'm also thinking of the two old people. I know. I want I their know. backstory. I want to find out I why know. it took them this long to get together. Because those little, yeah. and so maybe those little drop hints are painful. Come well, on, there's a middle book more. missing. Yes. There is a book missing for sure. <laughs> well, and I feel like there wasn't resolution. I wanted a story where he goes and talks to the pastor. That the the, the reader needs more with the pastor. That was an incredible character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That story was so compelling and when oh. he goes back. And that's why I felt jolted because I thought, well, you take us to this story where these people understood that something was going on that was bigger than they could mm -hmm. understand and that this kid needed protection. 
And that mm-hmm. pastor almost gave his life for but that's yeah. That also puts, there's an undercurrent. Remember the song that the pastor's always humming? Leaning on the everlasting arms. And that's mm-hmm. underneath everything yeah. that's happening to Matt. Amen. Yeah. There's a sense in which the theme of the story, one of the themes of the story is that things happen just like that. Or you lose people just like that. Just like that. Or relationships end just, just like, like that. that. And mm-hmm. you don't ever get the end of the story. You know? That's right. That's right. Um, it's a snapshot. You don't know what happened to the person mm-hmm. that moved away when you were in eighth grade. You don't know. You don't ever know what happened to them. Right. And, and so know, maybe they were a big influence in your true. life, but you don't know. And while mm-hmm. Mary Lee um, is noting things happening just like that, Matt has been living that. And up mm-hmm. until now, mm-hmm. she hadn't had that. No. Yeah. I do think we should note that there is violence and that Matt witnesses a murder. Yes. So, yeah. So I do feel like at some point here, we actually need to talk about the grittiness of Matt's story. Um, Because moms, you need to know that. There's not a lot to say in my mind about it because it is what it is and it's very painful. Um, But just like in OK for Now, we noted the domestic violence that was occurring. In this situation, we have... Um, a boy who is displaced from his parents and he is recruited into a, into a gang of boys. And it feels like, um, to, to all, I mean, does everybody agree? It feels like Oliver Twist. Oh yes. Recruited into Finnegan's gang. And if you don't. And by recruited. Bribed mean, and kidnapped basically. Yeah. Forced. Coerced. Yeah. Yeah. Coerced. Hungry and lost and scared. And you've got this creepy creepy dangerous man who entices him home and then presses him into labor where he now needs to steal in order to survive and the boys in the gang they will beat on you and they will steal your rat they'll steal your portion and all it's all of the things that's straight out of dickens um and in a in a cruel twist in all of this there's one boy who really takes care of him and looks out for him and he is murdered in front of Matt. And it's it's awful. So it's not graphic. It's not gory. You know, it's, there's no gratuitous violence. It's just that the way in which Schmidt tells it makes you care so much that when it happens, you feel like somebody is stepping on your heart and suffocating you. And then so, we also have Matt almost killed. Matt is almost killed. Because Matt sees this violence and has the wisdom to run. But before he runs, he steals from the gang. And because of that, the gang leader will send his violent minions after Matt everywhere Matt goes. And nowhere Matt goes is he safe. And many people are harmed physically in the wake of that. Many good people who defend Matt, give him somewhere to live, take care of him. They are then, they are repaid for that kindness with violence against themselves. It's a terrible, terrible, hard thing. So moms, you need to know that storyline is in there. And it's more difficult because 
I don't know why this is exactly, except that we have, when you read Oliver Twist or David Copperfield, where he is abused by his stepfather, there's some kind of distance that's there because it's in Victorian times. It's yeah. not anything that would happen now, you know, or right. I guess that's the, the, the subconscious thought. Yeah. When you read about something, the things that happen in this book are very similar to what happens in Oliver Twist as far as the, the yeah. gang and the, the violence and the witnessing a murder and all that stuff. But it feels so much more real and possible and yeah. horrible. At the same time, yeah. though, he's really no more graphic. No, it's no, not. Not at all. Not at it's all. It's just the time. It's just the, the setting. The time period difference. Yeah, the setting difference. I think it's probably also that we all understand, and maybe the kids reading it wouldn't, but we know those things are really happening out there all the time. Right now. Mm -hmm. They're happening right now. Mm -hmm. And we can think of Oliver Twist mm -hmm. as kind of a Fairy one in a million story, maybe. But now mm -hmm. you're looking at mm -hmm. maybe one in hundreds or thousands. That's... Yeah, it makes it a little bit more closer to home. On the flip side, there's also some of the gifts of Dickens in this one. I tend to think Captain Hurd to me is Mr. Peggotty, um, just this happy seagoing man who's he's a bear of a man. He's a jolly man and he's fiercely loyal to those he loves. And he's dangerous to those who want to hurt those he loves. And I feel like there were just lots of little gifts like that in here, too. And I love Menachater. <laughs> She's so great. <laughs> She's like what Mrs. Baker will be. No. <laughs> and I feel like the adults and the way the adults show up, because you have adults showing up not in great ways, oh, yeah. right? Obviously, you've got this this guy that's running right. a gang, but you so you're so you're seeing the contrast of a of parents that are. Broken as mm -hmm. parents, Marilee's parents are not at all acting as a parent should be. Even through no, they're a abandoning their daughter. Like they they're yeah. abandoning mm -hmm. her. Yeah. So you have you have these levels of parents and adults not showing up the way we would hope them to be showing up, and then you have plenty of adults mm -hmm. who are, including the PE coach. <laughs> yes. And we've already discussed co PE coaches and especially he junior redeems. high ones. And like, why are they the way they he are? Redeems them in this one. <laughs> Yes, and but at the same time, no one calls no. her. It's like I, we're going to run wind sprints for an hour, whether she's oh. going to die or not, right? And I'm dying for her because I'm thinking I remember that. Oh my gosh! And and we're we're thinking about biology class mm -hmm. and all the things, right? So you have these adults that are showing up in really meaningful ways, even if the impact is very small yeah. or it doesn't seem like it's as large as Monocator's mm -hmm. impact. And that is what I think is missing in a lot of other YA right. books is that it's the grittiness, the gruesome, the realism without the redemption. And yet you have without mm. the redemption, without the hope, without the, the, the reality. One of the things I get tired of is, well, this shouldn't always end with a happy ending because life isn't happy. And I just, I, I object. Yes. I object. I absolutely 1000% object. Life is full of joy and life can be joyful even in the pain. Right. And you can, it, and it is like, and that, and he shows that you can have, have loss 
and still have beautiful things happening. And you can either focus on everything that's horrible or you can focus on everything that's mm-hmm. good and beautiful. And he, he kind of talks about that in the story. Like he talks about Jesse Wilcox Smith's paintings. Yeah. And they're thinking about how those look like a postcard. And I understand like at one point Marilee talks about like life isn't a postcard, but sometimes it is. And sometimes it can well, be. Well, and isn't that interesting imagery anyway? Because postcards are the snapshot from the trip. You're on the trip and you've got a snapshot and you're sending this postcard this one moment. I think of like, okay, if you think of Little Women and the Christmas scene and you're looking in at the Christmas scene, it's a postcard. But nobody's talking about how hard it was for them to wait to have their Christmas dinner. Nobody's talking about what happens when they take their dinner to the Hummels and they don't have Christmas dinner. There's so... Or the dad's dad's missing, missing, right? The postcard is true. It's not less true because there's hard things also. You can have both. In fact... But sometimes it's more true. Right. It's more true because it is hard. Like you you know joy because you knew pain. But also... Right? And I think that's what Life is made up of those snapshots. It's a long series of postcards. Mm -hmm. And I think it just makes a difference which ones you're looking at. When you think Mm -hmm. about what you've been through, are you looking at the pretty postcards or are you looking at all the horrible things? Right. And so Marilee is suffering. She's going through the grief, but she's also noting the postcard moments and it makes a difference to her. Yeah. I also want to talk about the sequence of events towards the end with Menachater. She has done everything she can to protect Marilee, but she is not going to be unprofessional towards her staff. She teaches Marilee to be respectful to the staff, even when she personally doesn't agree with the decisions that the teachers are making. And I thought that that was a really brilliant way of showcasing what a mature adult does. A mature adult says, look, there are relationships here and they are complex and everybody deserves everybody's respect. And we don't have to agree with each other, but we do have to respect each other. And I'm going to teach you how to advocate for yourself in a way that's respectful. And appropriate. And, appropriate. I lo- and brilliant. I loved that. I thought that was great. Our world is missing yes, this. Yes, it is. It, it's like it's gone out the window how to have proper communication, right. interactions, how to disagree, right. how to even have a civil disobedience yes. appropriately. <laughs> exactly. It's missing. Anyway. And she's showing it in this book. I, I do feel that this book was a little bit more politicized than any of the mm-hmm. books I've read so far. He he has feelings about things. <laughs> he has feelings about the Vietnam War. He does. He does. It's <laughs> obvious. Possibly about Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> there was some sayings. There was some stuff about, about the election. At least about Spiro Agnew. <laughs> and about Richard Nixon. <laughs> but I think it's also, if you can't really talk about the 60s without some of that being in there. Because in American, right. what was going on in America with the civil rights movement and, and the assassinations and the way that politics mm-hmm. was becoming so in your face and uh, extreme, I guess. Maybe it had always yeah. been that way, but now it's on TV and you see it all the right. time. And you got the right. Vietnam War, which was very polarizing. How do you tell a 60s story with teenagers and not Without bring that in? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Because again, that's setting. Mm-hmm. That is part of the setting. Mm-hmm. 
and that it's not window dressing. It's it's legitimately part of the story. You you can't have that story absent that. Right. So it's it's the world that Mary Lee is going to have to function in in a way that maybe some of those other girls are going to be shielded from it. Ah. Unless they marry senators. <laughs> But yeah, but she's not of the class that's probably going to do that and be protected from all of the things that are going on in the news. And she doesn't want to be. Makes you wonder what she grows up to become, huh? A little. (laughs) I kind of feel like she becomes a journalist. (laughs) I I find it so interesting, Diane, that you want a sequel, but yet not. Because I think that that is one of the things that we've really landed on with Schmidt is that he has built a world. We so often think of world building as being fantasy, that only fantasy authors build worlds. But Dickens built worlds. Austin built worlds. And so even though Austin's characters aren't related to each other, they kind of are. Um, Same with Dickens. It's just interesting that what Schmidt has done is he has actually connected the characters. I can't think of any other authors that do. There may be some, but I can't think of any other authors that do that except um, Madeline Langle. Mm -hmm. And her books are all, the characters are interconnected to some extent in a similar way. Or all the stories stand alone. Yeah, they are, but they're but but there are definite connections and grandchildren show up and you know things like interesting. that. Interesting, interesting. But I can't think of anybody else uh, right now. At all of Indy Wilson's books. Oh, they're all related. Yeah, you were saying that, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that until mm-hmm. a few years ago. So when he told the Ashtown Burials books, those are the Smiths, and when he told the Cupboards books, that's a diff- those are that's Henry's family. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's because they're cousins. And so it, it's then I didn't all know that either. I've read some of those books and I didn't know that. I, I thought that one of the other themes or it's almost like it's the center, the, the nut of the story. Mrs. McNocketer, Dr. McNocketer is trying to figure out what to do about Matt because he's so hard to figure, you know, he seems to be hiding something. We love him anyway. And she says to the captain, I don't know what to do with him. And he said, what I've been telling you for years, Nora, love him and all that comes with him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the whole rest of the story just revolves around that. And of course, yeah. he's also talking about the captain is also talking about their relationship. Um, well, that's ex- that's what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. But But he's telling her that's how you handle Matt. You just take him for what he is and you love him. Right. And isn't that that whole thing about Matt landing with them is just so fascinating because he needed both. Mm -hmm. He needed each of them had very different things that he needed. And I think Schmidt is speaking to the fact that there's a complementarity in parenting and that you need a mom and a dad. They need each other. We find out. But he needed them. Just something about how he brings them together, too. I mean, don't our kids sometimes help us stay together with our spouse? But in most of the stories, you see that where the parents are not great. Mm -hmm. Maybe the one is strong. Like Doug's mother is very strong, but there's very little she can do. But they find that mother and father somewhere outside their family, even though their own aren't really doing the job. 
Lil's parents seem to be good. And we Right, but she's not the main character. No, agreed. I'm just trying to think of where he's actually written happily married functional parents. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to write about happily married functional parents. Yes, it know? is. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens if you have that. <laughs> right. Mm. I don't know. It can still happen just like that. <laughs> Even when you have functional parents. I'm glad that you said earlier, Sherry, that we have done a lot of talking about how sad and hard this is. And we haven't really talked about how funny it is. And I think it's a little harder to communicate that on the, on the in this format. But I do think it's really important that our listeners know that the four of us universally loved this book and thought that it was a very enjoyable read, even though it was a hard read. And that the characters are, they're funny and they're interesting and dynamic. And it's, it's a very, it's another excellent sample of writing from Gary D. Schmidt. And I'm really sad that we're not going to go on to read Hercules Beale. <laughs> right now. Right now. Maybe oh, next year. <laughs> we can read it. I mean. Just... <laughs> yeah. But we want to talk about it. Yeah. This was great. And I think that this is a great way to sort of wrap up our time with Gary D. Schmidt for the time being. It's the end of a really neat arc. We do recommend a lot of his other books. So head over to the website to find out which other ones we love and why and all of that good stuff. And as always, we do genuinely want to speak with you. What did you think of this book? Did you like this one? Did you read this in quote unquote order or out of order? Uh, is there, are there things you wish we had talked about or connections that you made you'd love to share? We'd love to hear all of that. Mm -hmm. So head over to the BiblioGuides online community, which is a mighty network. It's completely free. We'd be happy to chat with you over there or find us in our social media on Instagram or Facebook or head over to our website and send us an email if you wish. We'd love to chat with you and connect with you. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, friends. <laughs>